Hello, all. I'm so happy you're here with me today. This episode is a little bit different than some of the ones we've been doing lately. I was worried that you might be getting trad wife fatigue, so I thought I'd go the other direction. I'm going the other way. My goal here on Under the Influence is to share stories, for women to share their real stories, for us to just be really open and honest about what it takes to be a woman in the world and how that is often really screwed up and how we deserve better, how we deserve more. And so I read this story in the New York Times about a mother who had chosen to open up her marriage to other partners and then wrote a memoir about it. And that and this memoir has gone crazy. It has it is all over all of the bestseller lists, and every mom I know is talking about it. So obviously, I felt like we had to talk. Molly is the New York Times bestselling author of More, a memoir where she writes so honestly about the first 10 years of opening up her marriage when her children were young. In 2008, Molly and her husband had been married for about 10 years. She was exhausted. Her husband was working all the time, and then Molly met someone else. Suddenly, she just felt desire again. And that was amazing. When she told her husband he wasn't mad, and he said, why don't you sleep with him? Why don't you give this a try? Why don't we open our marriage? And they did. This one line from Molly really stuck with me. She said, mothers in our society are meant to put on a one-sized-fits-all mom suit, and we're meant to lop off all the parts that don't fit inside the suit. It just minimizes us and destroys so much of our feminine vitality. I could not agree more. Our society really does give us one way of being a good mother, a good woman. And there's so many other ways to be. Whether or not you are into opening your marriage, whether or not, you know, the idea really freaks you out, there's so much that we can learn from other women's experiences. And that's what I really took away from this interview. It just, it gave me so much to chew on and think about. Molly's account of the first 10 years of her open marriage is raw and honest and eye-opening, and it has plenty of lessons for people who don't want to open up their marriage, who want to stay monogamous, but who just want a better way of being a partner in the world. I love this conversation with Molly, and I really think you're going to, too. So before we opened our marriage, to set the scene, uh, my children were six and three years old. I had just decided uh, to stay home for, I thought, maybe a while, but I lasted mm -hmm. one year. I had been a teacher and I had decided to stay home because my youngest needed some different therapies and things like that. And it was just, I was having a lot of guilt around not being home. So I decided to stay home and then lost my mind. Um, but my husband has always had to work late. And I say has to kind of with air quotes, but yeah. you know, the truth is he was running his own company. He's in New York doing music for TV and movies. And so often late calls with LA, blah, blah, blah. And so he came home really late one night and I was just like done. And I just yeah. walked out of my house without my keys, without my phone. And I ended up meeting a guy. I think so yeah. many mothers can relate to that moment. Right. Just where, you know, I know that you're working. I know that you were doing things to support our family, but I've also been doing this work at home all day long on the most most labor that is unacknowledged. And I'm just at my, right. I'm done. I'm at my wits end. I have to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. You have to walk away sometimes. And I didn't realize what I was walking into when I walked away. But we did have some precedent in our marriage um, before we even got engaged. Um, and when we were dating, like my husband was kind of into my being with other people. Mm -hmm. I was never that into it, though, because it was more in like a swingery kind of way. We had gone to a couple sex clubs and had a threesome once. But that was all before we had kids. Once we had kids, 
that was just shut down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. could barely muster the energy to have sex with my husband. So I knew that he was a little into it. He had even said to me also that if I ever wanted to sleep with someone else once we were married, that if I wanted to, I could just as long as I told him about it. And part of that was his titillation. And part of that was like, he just, he didn't want me to lie to him. Right. Right. So I knew there was like a possibility, but I hadn't, I mean, it was the farthest thing from my mind. So when I walked into this bar, a friend of mine like found me on the street, just wandering. Mm -hmm. And she was like, come to the bar with me. So I went to the bar and it was one of her friends there. And I was shocked that like desire coursed through my body when I met this guy. Um, So it wasn't like I really had planned to open my marriage. And once that happened, I didn't necessarily plan to act on it. So the book tells the story of the first 10 years of our opening our marriage, starting mm-hmm. at that point in 2008 when my kids were little. And now they're 19 and 22 almost. Um, oh my gosh, they're grownups. When people say that to me, I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, wow. It happens. It takes it does, so right? long. And yeah. now I like miss the little buggers. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it's it's crazy how how intense it is. And then how over it is. But part of me wants to say from the get-go, it's like with that endpoint in mind, like you're supposed to leave your children to have their own lives eventually. And if you don't preserve any part of yourself for that moment, it's not good for anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, you know, it was there. It was probably escaping motherhood that, that led me out the door that day. But it's also been such an important piece of my own journey and I think has helped me to cultivate a a very authentic relationship with my children now that they're older. Yeah, yeah. And I have have so many more questions about that once we get down the road a little bit. Sure. I want to go back to that first night. So you're feeling desire for the first time in a long time. I mean, I know what it's like to just, I mean, the desire faucet kind of gets shut off for yeah. for a while. I mean, for some women, it, we're all different, right? We are not a monolith, but right. it, it can get shut off for a while after you have kids. And when it's not even the having of kids, it's the the very physicality of motherhood too. Someone is always touching your body. And, and you're exhausted. You're exhausted. 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 And, but you're feeling it for the first time. And that is exciting. Was it also terrifying? Yes, yes, exciting and terrifying. And I'd I'd say um, those were probably the two key emotions for the first five years or so. I was Mm -hmm. kind of vacillating between thrill and terror. And, you know, I wasn't bored, though. So that was good because I had been getting into a place where, you know, like you can only in my day, it was like a lot of freaking Teletubbies mm-hmm. and Elmo and yeah, SpongeBob yeah, and Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, we're at like Bluey and Peppa Pig. Actually, we watch a lot of dinosaur crap in our house. <laughs> we're, ours was a train household primarily, okay. mm-hmm. a lot of trains. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really not, you know, it, it, there is nothing to um, feed the kind of human woman part of yourself that is not the maternal part for so long that you kind of forget that you have this sort of working body with sex organs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A body it's a all... body that one a body that once had sex. Right. Like like enthusiastically, you know? Right. Um <laughs> and I think I also had so much anger at my husband at the time mm-hmm. that I couldn't, even when he was trying to connect with me, I was just, I was angry at him, some for reasons that that were his fault and some for reasons that weren't his fault or that went beyond him, that went into the larger patriarchy. Um, And for some reason, this young single guy who didn't see me as a mom, who had not impregnated me and stayed late at work you know what I mean yes I could see him with these fresh eyes that I could not see my husband with anymore so that was part of it I'm sure and it's it's a complicated soup yes 
Yes. And that and that's the thing. It is all complicated. Uh, I think that's what people have really responded to in the She Wants More podcast. It's that women are complicated. We are not one thing or and just one thing. We are we have so much that has not been expressed in popular culture. And especially mm-hmm. if you are a mother, we have been told to be a certain way. We do yeah. not see mothers as erotically charged, as sexual creatures. And I think that your book is really breaking down stereotypes around that. I hope so. And sexual creatures, yes. And also like cre- like willful creatures. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people with their own will. We are sub- we are told that we should subvert our own desires, be they sexual or otherwise, um, in order to raise our children. But I don't think it's serving. I don't think our it's children serving. either. I don't think it serves the children. I don't. I absolutely no. don't. I think and it certainly I... doesn't serve humanity. We need we need moms to be their full selves. Yes, 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 and yes. So this happens. How do you then move into an open marriage. What are the conversations like that get you from there to there? Yeah, I mean, we went through a lot of different evolutions, and there were a few times when I did want to close the marriage. Um, my husband said to me more than once, "Molly, you're going to change your mind as soon as you meet someone. You're going to change your mind," um, and he wasn't wrong. But the mm-hmm. other person that I had in my ear was my mother, because my mother also had an open marriage, but she never told me about it. So part of the reason that we persevered for so many years, even when things were hard, is that my mother was there on the other side of all this, still happily married to my father, saying to me, oh, honey, yeah, I remember those conversations. I remember those feelings, you know. Don't worry. You know, you you could close your marriage. You could leave it open. It's all about just paying attention to yourself and continuing to talk to your husband. And it's going to be okay. So I was getting this like kind of curiosity about myself and wanting to push through it. So many ups and downs. Um, But really, it went from me fearing falling in love with another person and fearing my husband falling in love with another person to finally being at a place where I understood, for myself anyway, that that could happen and it would actually make us stronger and love each other more, which is what has happened. Um, it doesn't make any sense in some ways, but that's what happened. But we, we had lots of rules at the beginning that were all meant to contain it. Mm-hmm. Um, our big rule was no falling in love. We had lots of other rules. And when I say we, it was really me who was dictating the rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And over time, those rules shifted and my own understanding of what I wanted shifted. I was also in therapy during these 10 years. Um, And a lot of the evolution came from our conversations, but I'd say even more of the evolution came from my own inner dialogue and my discovery of what it was I was looking for the whole time. What did you think you wanted in the beginning? What did you think that this was going to accomplish? I wanted to escape. I wanted some excitement and adventure. I wanted to be the anti-mom. So I was think I was think I used to go on trips with my friends to Las Vegas too. Like the first time was probably when my kids were one and four. We went away for the weekend. Um, So it was before we opened our marriage, but it was so exhilarating. We thought of, if anybody knows Park Slope, it's like Mm -hmm. so mom-centric and everybody has a stroller. And so my friends and I, who are also Park Slope moms, like we thought of Vegas as like the anti-Park Slope too, where it was just like... Because it is. Yeah. yeah, It's totally Mm -hmm. irresponsible. Nobody made, like like the goal was to make zero good decisions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To be totally irresponsible and we had a blast. So, but that would be like, we did that a few times, but it was like three days and then you'd come back and you'd be like, you had seen this glimpse of this self that was, you know, it was just kind of running the, it was a, it was polarity though. It was like bouncing from one extreme to the other, mm-hmm. as opposed to finding a place in the middle. So I thought I just wanted to run to the other end of the spectrum of irresponsibility. But I think what I really was craving and what I have, 
achieved to a degree now anyway, is like an integrated self where I can be my whole self all the time. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we'll talk about the rules that Molly and her husband set for their open marriage. Under the Influence is brought to you by Etitude Clean Bamboo Sheets. I am a person who freaking loves sleep. I prioritize sleep over a lot of other things. I prioritize it over binge-watching TV shows and often over sex with my husband. I do. Sorry. Not sorry. I love sleep. I do. What if you could get an extra 43 hours of sleep per year? And here's the secret. You're not going to get that with just any old cotton sheets, but you will with clean bamboo. I'm madly in love with these brand new attitude sheets that I put on my bed a couple of months ago. My sleep is real good right now. And if you have any interest in trying them, right now you can get 35% off your first order of $175 or more with the code INFLUENCE. These unbelievably soft, clean bamboo sheets have over 20,000 five-star reviews, which is a lot of five-star reviews. I wish the Sicilian Inheritance had 20,000 five-star reviews. It will. It will. These sheets are the epitome of accessible luxury. They feel like sleeping in a fancy hotel. And let's be honest, the best part about fancy hotels are always the sheets. Simply put, attitude sheets are the secret to better sleep. And they're so sure that you're going to love sleeping on them that you can try any attitude bedding set risk-free for 30 nights. If you're not completely satisfied, you can return it for a full refund. Now, don't forget, you can get $35 off your order of $175 or more, plus free shipping for a limited time when you visit attitude.com slash under the influence. After you meet the guy in the bar, you come home, you talk to your husband. What were the main rules besides don't fall in love? Yeah, we had. Um, I, for example, didn't want him in particular to date anybody that he might fall in love with. Mm -hmm. So they had mm -hmm. to not like live nearby, you know, no, no exes. Although the first, th that rule came after he dated his ex. And then I was like, oh, I don't like this, you know, uh -huh. um, uh -huh. <laughs> sometimes something would happen and then I would make a rule about it to like make sure it didn't happen again. Mm -hmm. It feels like no playing chess with anybody else because that was our thing. Yes, no that, I mean that that one. That one is so fascinating to me because you know, I mean, obviously, you read, read, read things like this, and then you're like, well, what would my rule be? What do yeah. we like to do together? And yeah. right now, right now, it's nothing. But right. we did like to do things together before we had a one year old. Um, but the no, the no chess. I, I liked that rule. But if you can imagine something you did used to do that you don't have time to do anymore, mm -hmm. if you started doing that thing with somebody else, even just like if I if I had thought of it, I would have done like no reading the Sunday Times in Central Park with mm -hmm. anybody else, because that's what we used to do. We used mm -hmm. to like bring a picnic to the park and the newspaper and hang out all day. You know, if he were right. to do that with someone else, I would want to kill him. Totally. Well, I mean, that brings me to another question that I have always had for friends who have opened their marriages. And I'm essentially living in the Park Slope of Philadelphia. Okay. So every every neighborhood, every city has their Park Slope. Every city has their Park Slope. And but, you know, we are seeing more of our friends opening up their marriages um, and more women that I know having affairs. And when I've talked to them, I'm like, you know, I am a jealous bitch. And I know this about myself so well that I I don't know if I could personally handle it because I think I would seethe with rage all the time. Yeah, I did. I did. Part of the reason that I tolerated it is because I did it first. You yeah. know what I mean? With his permission. Mm -hmm. And so then when he wanted to see people too, I knew that wasn't, I knew I couldn't say no because mm -hmm. I, you know what I mean? That was, I'm not, I'm not illogical. So I was right. like, all right, 
if I am seeing other people, I need to let him see other people. Mm -hmm. But it has taken a very long time for us to get to the understanding that it is still harder for me than it is for him in terms of jealousy. It never really made him jealous in the same way that it made me jealous. But what I read this book right away, the not right away, but early on, called The Ethical Slut. Oh, and yes, of, yes, yes. Yeah, it's book. a Bible of polyamory. It, it really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first yeah. book that my that my friend read when she uh, opened her marriage. Yeah. It's also kind of one of was the, the only book for quite some mm-hmm. time. So yes. now there are a few more. Polysecure is a good one. I hope my book will be helpful just as an individual deep dive into what it was mm-hmm. like. But um, I loved the line they had that jealousy is just a mask for whatever you have going on right now. And so for me, when I dug underneath the jealousy, you didn't have to go very far. There was anger. And you Mm -hmm. said seething with rage. There was anger that that I didn't feel like I had enough freedom. And he did. Um, And there was insecurity that he was going to love somebody else more than me. Mm. But when we dug under there, that led to some real changes because. If he if he was staying at work, for example, and I was home with the kids, that felt like, well, that was just the decision we made, right? He made more money. I was a teacher. It didn't mm-hmm. make sense for me. You know, eventually I did go back to work, but I didn't have to, you know, I was a teacher, so I still picked the kids up from school and had their vacations off and all of yeah, that. Yeah, so you're, still... prim- you're the primary parent. Like, yes, Always. 100%. Mm-hmm. Right. But once he started dating, I could say wait a minute, if you're going out, I'm going out, you know, as opposed to mm-hmm. my feeling like I ha- I was supposed to stay at home with the kids. This, it just, it just changed enough for me that I started giving my per- myself permission to do something that wasn't kid centric. Um, and there was still a lot of guilt around it, but ultimately I discovered this is better for me. I am not walking around as an angry, migraine-riddled person. Um, as I started to feel better in my own skin, I started to realize this is actually good for my kids too and for my family and for my marriage. But that wasn't like really the prime motive. The primary motive was like I felt broken and I needed, mm-hmm. I needed to reestablish some time for myself however I could. Um, and in New York, I think it's, you know, it's probably the same where you are. It's probably the same for a lot of people. The, if one partner is working all the time because it is expensive to raise kids in the city and you do need someone to make some dough, um, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to carve out time for anything. But I think doing this shifted both of our priorities a bit. And we started realizing we need a little time to live, um, started giving each other, you know, somehow. The time materialized. Partly, we didn't sleep as much. That was one thing. But I wasn't sleeping much anyway. It's like once you're down to five hours of sleep a night, eh, what's the difference Uh, between four, three and a half? And you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It was like I I had the adrenaline at that point anyway. Um, But there were some things that started to become more balanced in our relationship that made me appreciate what was happening for him. I started to see some change too in him based on honestly some of the women he was dating too. Some of the some of the understanding he was getting around what it's like to be a mother because a lot of the women he were da- he was dating were also mothers. Oh, right. Yeah. And so my next book actually spoiler is going to be about the relationships with these other women. Um in polyamory there's a term called metamor and it's your partner's partner. And I haven't always met my partner's partner, but I have a lot to thank them for in terms of what they have taught my husband. And and my partner's wives always tend to love me, whether they've met me or not, because I am their biggest advocate. I'm like, oh, no, you're not going out tonight. Your kid is sick. Hell no. Go home. You know, that kind of thing. So we kind of have each other's back, too, in this weird sister wife kind of way. Oh, I'm very into that. I'm very into that. Well, because it does a marriage. A marriage requires a village. And I think that in 
America, we've lost that village. We've siloed ourselves into these very small nuclear units. Um, Absolutely. We no longer have the brothers, the sisters, the cousins, the aunties, the uncles giving you advice, you know, pushing you in the right direction. Like we, we think that we can do this all ourselves. And the, the fact is we can't. Yeah. I am so appreciative. I didn't marry my husband until he was, I think he was 42. Yeah, he was 42. Okay. Because um, he's turning 50 this year. And I was 35. And I'm so appreciative to all of the women that dated him before. Yeah. Because they fixed him. <laughs> I, you know, they did. I mean, he, I still had to do so much work and there's still right. much more to do. <laughs> But these women, like, already did put in all of the work that I had been putting in with these terrible men for years while I was yeah. dating. Yeah. And so I got him as a fully formed human in the yeah. world. And the other interesting thing I have to say about this is we live in a society where I don't think men have nearly enough space to have relationships with women. Mm -hmm. If you had more of, like, a council or a coven of female friends, then they would be telling you how to better be a partner in the world. But that is so good. I love that know, idea. Jo. Male female relationships are always only sexual. That and, and so you know, and that's actually kind of a joke in polyamory that like people say swingers have sex without talking and polyamorous people talk without having sex. And like <laughs> I do have partners now that like maybe we used to be sexual in the past, but we're not anymore. But like we still hang out because there's also something lovely about the intimacy that that has been established early on. Um, five of my husband's ex-girlfriends were at our wedding. Like he always has stayed friends with oh his exes. Same. Same. I had we had four of his exes at our wedding and we had three of mine. Very nice. We had yeah. zero of mine because I only had one ex and I no longer could talk to him. No. So I hadn't ever really dated widely. I got married. I met my husband when I was 23. So oh, I you're, also. You're a baby. I was. And yeah. So he was is five years older. He had dated more, but was also, you know, he was 31 when yeah. he got married. Yeah. So I feel like you're so right. And, and, you know, you remember, I think it was Mike Pence who said in an interview, like, he wouldn't even have lunch with a female colleague or something like that. Yes. Like think about it, when men have no interaction with women, what yes. are they think the world is? Come on. Come on. No, exactly. Exactly. And it's so many of the women that I've interviewed for She Wants More say it's just been world opening for everyone. The kinds of connections that you can make are not just sexual. You are making no. friends. I have friends that are like, you know, I've made some really good business contact. Yeah. Yeah. One of my partners just got like a great apartment. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you just don't know. You it's just like, don't it, know. It's a, it's a wonderful network often. Yeah. But, but usually, I mean, there is this paradigm that when we get married, we shut ourselves off to opening yeah. up like yeah. that in, in that way, except for couple friends and things like that. So, I do. I think there is so much that we can learn. People who don't even want to open up their marriages just from the model of polyamory about what all of us are missing out on as human beings. Absolutely. And yeah, a good friend of mine who's monogamous, but is still close friends with one of her ex-boyfriends. She said like reading my book actually helped her talk to her husband a little because like she really wanted to go away for a weekend trip with her ex-boyfriend because mm -hmm. like they miss each other. Yeah. And so they did. And it was just like it was just like. Revelatory. They yeah. had such a good time and they came back more kind of like juiced to be with their partners, too. And she was like, and nothing sexual happened. I'm not attracted to him anymore, but he's like my brother. And the fact that, like, I can't hang out with him unchaperoned anymore or something, it's like, it's upsetting, you know? Yeah. So I love this idea that we're going to approach that kind of thing, too. And my parents also, who, who had an open marriage, they are still close friends with some of their former partners. And that's, like, what my mother's main partner when I was a kid, I knew him as her best friend. I didn't know anything else was going on. I didn't find out till my aunt told me when I was 28. And I was like, oh, 
Yeah, um, well, well, tell the audience a little bit about that moment that you so you found out that that your parents had had an open marriage. Yeah, and it was it was before we had opened opened, but after we had done some of the like, you know, a couple sex clubs, threesome or two kind of thing, mm-hmm. that I was yeah. like, oh, I'm not into it. And then my aunt told me that my mother had had an affair um, with her best friend. It took me a year to confront my mother about it. And when I did, I asked her if my dad knew. And she said, well, it was your father's idea. But she never used the term open marriage. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't then we didn't have another conversation about it until after I had opened my marriage and wanted to talk to her because it took a while for me to realize what I was really looking for was that kind of connection that she had with a guy. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I love I loved the friendship she had this guy who I called Jim in the story. And I wanted that for myself. So I feel like that is part of what I have gained. But it took me a while to get there because I was also so afraid of falling in love or of my husband falling in love that I was trying to keep my my contact with other men very superficial for a while. So I feel like the first half of the book is is almost sad in some ways because of I didn't quite know what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to show readers kind of like what the trajectory really looked like for me. So I wrote it in present tense to really be in that place and not look back with a more, with a wiser eye. I wanted to really mm, right. show what was happening for me during those years, which was really from age 35 to 45. And, which is and hard. part of it was looking for, looking for friendship, looking right. for connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the beginning, how was the sex? Was it satisfying or were you trying lots of different things and not necessarily getting what you wanted? Or was your mind blown right away? My mind was not blown right away. No, (laughs) my mind was blown occasionally by things I discovered I liked. You know what I mean? Things that were, you know, I still consider myself pretty vanilla overall Mm -hmm. because once you once you dip a toe into this world, like, I don't know if anybody's ever been on the Field app, but I went on Field when I was in London, partly because I just wanted to see if there was an open marriage scene there. Yeah. And seeing I was non-monogamous, everybody kept inviting me to, like, dungeon parties. And I was Shut like, up. oh, no, no. Oh. I'm not into I'm... that. And the assumption was, if you're non-monogamous, you're, like, into BDSM. And I'm like, no, that's not what I was into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty vanilla. I think, but one mm-hmm. man's vanilla is another man's kink, right? So yeah. one yeah. woman. I mean, I, I, I'm actually, I'm working on an essay right now, uh, as I'm promoting my new, my new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance, because I put some, some steamy sex scenes in it. But Ooh. I'm like, yeah, I mean, steamy enough, right? Like average person yeah. sex. And uh, but I'm writing an essay about how do you write steamy sex scenes when you actually really like vanilla sex? <laughs> like when I'm just like, I'm like, whoa, I get off on missionary. What's hilarious is. When people describe my book as like steamy or like raunchy, I'm like, are you joking? It shocked (laughs) me. It Mm -hmm. shocked me because I don't think it's that raunchy. I just I don't think it is either. It's just honest. It's honest about sex that it it happens in the world. And and it's not. um, It's not painted over with some sort of like gauzy filter. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not porn sex and it's not, it's like there's like fluids and sounds uh-huh. and, you know, it's a little gross and sad in some places, but. It is were... gross and it is gross and sad in some places and it's, yeah. and it's, and it seems great and fun in other places. Yeah. I will tell you, I, I think that the Times really just wanted an excuse to write butt plug. Just, <laughs> they're like, they're like, we are never going to get butt plug past the standards department except right now so we've got to say it right now i mean i say butt plug whenever i can and i'll be honest i haven't used a butt plug in many years but butt plug i (laughs) here's a plug for butt plugs no i but it it like taught me something about myself it taught me to like look at my anus which i had not done before and like Mm -hmm. explore a little bit and realize that sometimes shit comes out during sex. And, yeah. you know, nobody talks about that. And mm-hmm. the truth is, if you can't be comfortable with someone, if a little shit comes out during sex, that's not going to be good. 
So, and I tried not to talk. I don't know if they're the shit during sex scene might have gotten cut from my book, but there's sometimes this shit. There's shit. And there's shit. And uh, yeah, I mean, the bodily fluids galore. Galore. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it's funny sometimes. And if it, so, part of what I learned in this exploration was I need someone I can laugh with and I need someone who's not going to take it all too seriously. And I need it to not feel like a performance. But that's partly because I felt like it was a performance for a lot of years, not with my husband, but I was, you know, I was exploring. I hadn't done the whole dating thing in my 20s ever. I hadn't really ever done it. And for friends of mine who were single throughout their 20s, they may not want open relationships, but they still might want male friends or they still might want freedom in these other ways. So I think it looks different for different people, what you're going to want. But I didn't ever get that. So it was something I think I needed to do to Mm -hmm. get in touch with my own body and my own physicality and my own eroticism in a way I never had. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. When it is amazing how many similarities I hear. And that's why like so many of this does feel universal to the female experience. And yet we haven't talked about and yet we haven't talked about it. But Yes. I mean, so many women, especially women that got married young, said, I didn't even know what I liked to do. I just started right. having this kind of sex because yeah. I thought that's the kind of sex I wanted to be having. And I didn't know what turned me on. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, you know, are like, this is why exploring now in my 30s and 40s, that's that's part of why I had to do it. Yeah. And it doesn't and it feels like as you were saying before with mothers that we're, we're, I've, I've used this line before, but you know, it feels like we're, we're meant to put on this one size fits all mom suit mm-hmm. and we have to lop off the parts of ourselves that don't fit inside. And it's, it's just minimizing for such a big swath of the female population that we are denying our society the full vitality of like, feminine energy is it feels that vital to me the more women I've talked to even in the few weeks since my book came out I've been feeling it more stridently you know that Mm -hmm. you don't know how much your story is going to resonate with other people until people start responding to it but because of the responses I've been getting it seems really quite critical to me now that this is this is something that women's full expression, whether that's through open marriage or not, I don't have a vested interest in everybody being polyamorous. I haven't written a manifesto, but I do <laughs> think our society has a vested interest in the full expression of women and and for men to be exposed to more of that. I, that's why I love your idea about more men having female friendships, like mm-hmm. more, more, more women. That's not what I meant initially when I have the word more in my book as my title, but I think it's more a lot of things and more feminine energy is one of them. Yes. More feminine energy, more conversation, you know, more, yes, more, more, more. How did you come up with the title for the book? Yeah, well, my title was initially The Experiment um, because mm-hmm. it felt like mm-hmm. this grand experiment. Um, but it sounded, yeah, that my, my publisher didn't like that. And so then we switched to Open. But then Rachel Krantz wrote a book called Open about Mm -hmm. her own open relationship, which is very different from mine. And I'm a big fan of having lots of different takes. She was, you know, single, not not with kids. And so it was just an open relationship, which led her down a very different road than it led me down. So um, but this we needed a new title. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have a new title. I don't have another title. (laughs) And then it was during I Meditate. I started meditating Mm -hmm. after the period that the book takes place. And the title came to me in a meditation. And I was like, my mother says to me more than once in the book, when I was the first time was when I was breaking up with somebody. And I love it that when my when I was breaking up with someone, the two people who really consoled me were my husband and my mother, usually the two last people you could tell. But my friends Mm -hmm. couldn't really handle it at the time. They mm-hmm. couldn't wrap their heads around what I was doing. Everybody's gets it now because they've seen that my life didn't implode. And now they s- actually seek advice from me all the time because they think I'm actually pretty good at this relationship thing. Um, <laughs> but my mother said, oh, sweetie, don't worry. There will be more. And 
she had more than one partner. Mm -hmm. But I think I come to understand that there will be a lot more of a lot of things Mm -hmm. when you open yourself up to the truest expression of yourself. Yeah. And the good and the bad, right? Yes. And how else are you going to grow if you don't have some pain, right? Mm -hmm. I think in our society, too, we, we think, and I get this question a lot, like, well, it seems like you were having a lot of difficulty in the early stages of opening up your marriage. Why didn't you close it? Or why didn't you get a divorce? And I'm like, well, I also had a lot of difficulty in the early stages of motherhood, but nobody says, why didn't you give your children up for adoption? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like we mm-hmm. know that sometimes things are hard, even when they're valuable and maybe especially because they're valuable. Maybe that's where we learn and grow. So if we only avoid the things that are hard, not a lot would happen. And we wouldn't, I think, do what we're supposed to do on this planet, which is learn about ourselves through relationship. I think that's a big part of the human experience. Um, So I knew I could tell, and therapy helped. Conversations with my husband were, were essential. But I could tell something important was happening, both for me and between us. And I didn't want to turn my back on that and try to go back into some safe space because I also knew I was at a breaking point when this all began. Mm-hmm. So reverting mm-hmm. to something that also hadn't been working for me didn't feel like a great idea. And I loved my husband and I did not want to divorce him. Um, people I'll have bet, a hard time believing me. Do you, do you me, get that? Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's... That is the number one thing that I've heard from people before they listened to the podcast. They're like, if if you're not happy, get a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels like the most simplistic thing ever. I mean, it's almost in, you know, I've compared it to if you're not happy with your job, quit. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more to a job than your happiness. There is supporting your family. There is the fact that maybe maybe you do enjoy some parts of what you do. Like it is not all black and white, but people love that line. They do. Yeah. And and I've been accused not a lot, but a couple times of being Mm -hmm. anti-divorce because one of my partners was going through a divorce and I said Mm. something disparaging. But it was also like I didn't want him to be in a divorce because then he wanted me to be monogamous. So it was like it was going to be complicated. But I am not anti-divorce. I feel like the best marriages, though, and the best partnerships are those in which both people are giving each other freedom to grow throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. Because I can't still be the same person I was when I was 23, when I met my husband. No. If that were the expectation, then I would get a divorce. If he didn't want me to ever become more than I was at 23... I wouldn't be able to stay in my marriage. But he was encouraging me to do things and to grow in ways that I I do think I needed to grow. And I was also trying to give him the space to do that, even though it was really, really hard for me. Um, Right. Because I feel like that's what a good marriage is. You let each other grow. And if we had ended up growing away from each other and not being in love with each other anymore, then I think we would have gotten a divorce. But that's not what happened. So I think we have to redefine what makes a good marriage, too. We think that that monogamy automatically makes a good marriage. And I don't think that's true, Um, nor do I think non-monogamy makes a good marriage. I've seen a lot of non-monogamous marriages end and for good reason. But, you know, we have to think about what it is that we're trying to achieve as human beings Mm -hmm. in these partnerships. And can we change the container as needed to make marriage work for people? Um, and maybe by introducing some more flexibility and some more conscious decision making about what will our marriage look like as opposed to everybody adopting the same model that they were handed by their parents. Right, right. I mean, it is interesting because we have, uh, you know, blown up so many other models and so many other industries and evolved. And yet marriage does remain this kind of one institution that people get very nervous when you talk about doing anything different. I heard like Dan Savage talking about this on the Savage Lovecast that like, 
I didn't know this, that um, there were like right-wing conspiracies out there that like all this talk about polyamory was, you know, some sort of like takedown of the nuclear family. And he was fun. So he mentioned my book and was like, no, it's just like a really good PR campaign. By this woman <laughs> who wrote a memoir. You know what I mean? And I'm like, thank you, publicist at Doubleday. And it's true in some ways. But I'm like, I had no idea that people were like, it's been crazy. People are like really upset. And I'm like, yeah. I just told my story. I didn't even, it's this not is... a how-to manual. It's mm -hmm. not in anything except my story. And it's so threatening to people. This is just your life. Like, yeah. And yes. And I think that women's stories are threatening to people. I do. I saw that so much. We had a lot of hate thrown at us for even wow. daring to publish podcasts about women having affairs. Yeah. And we were told very similar things, that we were undermining the institution of marriage, that we were undermining the nuclear family, that this right. was some kind of liberal agenda as opposed to a woman just talking about her life. And crying for help sometimes, too. You and know what I mean? Like for help sometimes. In many yeah. ways, that that my opening my marriage was started out as a cry for help, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it could have gone a number of different ways. And I could have learned everything that I needed to learn about myself and then closed my marriage. And that would have been fine, too, you know? Or I might have cried for help in a different way. It turned out that this was something that I, I, I changed the way I was doing it many, many times. And the way it looks now is different than it looked even at the end of the book, which ends in 2018. But that's because life is long and I'm changing as a person. And that's mm -hmm. important to me that I keep evolving and growing. I love being 51. It's way better than 41, which was way better than 31, which was way better than 21. So I can't like I'm loving my 50s and I feel like we also need to model for younger women that life doesn't end when you get married and yes. life doesn't end again when your kids leave. Like mm -hmm. I cried for a, a, a little while when I dropped my yes. youngest at school, at college, but then it's been kind of fantastic, I have to say. And I feel like you're kind of not supposed to say that either. But it's better for my kid that I'm not like calling him constantly and sobbing and like, where what will I do with myself? Like, why would we do? Why would I waste all of this potential, all the things I've learned by just sobbing over my empty nest for the rest of my life, which is kind of what the, the image that I was yeah. shown. Yes. Of, well, like, also just the way of you just described it, an empty nest. You're empty now. Yes. I'm empty. Right. You're or empty. the other one I love is the selfless mother, the mother who has no self. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. you're just a void. You're just um, a void. You're, I mean, I think not... about that too with words like stay-at-home mother. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you're, not, you're, not, you're not a work-at-home mother. You're just staying. Just staying yeah. in, in not place. Not allowed out. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know. The words we use to describe women are terrible and we can yeah. only break it with stories. That is the yep. only way we can fix anything. Yep. yep. It is true. It is so true. We are going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, I want to talk to Molly about when she first talked to her kids about having an open marriage. When did you first talk to your children about having an open marriage? Yeah, well. I I didn't handle this great. Um, mm -hmm. I it I was trying to hide it from my kids, just like my mother hid it from me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. though I came to see that it was like I was glad I knew, but I always had a little ambivalence. Like, did I want to know when I was a kid? Did I not want to know? You know, am I glad she didn't tell me? So my I, I hadn't really worked it out. But then because we're in a different era. My oldest found my husband's OkCupid profile when he went to use his laptop because my husband is not, you know, a good, he's, he's sloppy. Um, shitty spy. You're a shitty spy is what you are. Yeah. You yeah. are not 
be a good oh, spy. No. And we're both terrible liars, too, which is partly why mm. one of our rules at one point I wanted like a don't ask, don't tell. But then I okay. ended up yelling at him at my husband because he wasn't lying well enough. And I was like, OK, yeah. this is not good. This is not yeah. healthy. So, yeah, we got rid of that one. But um, my my oldest, when he was 13, found the OKCupid profile and thought that my husband was having an affair. So mm -hmm. that conversation is the prologue for my book, um, how that went. And it wasn't, and then I, I still didn't want my youngest to find out, but he found out in a similar way when he was 14. Wow. So now they both know. Um, and I think it's kind of a tricky thing because where I've landed is that there is a diff, you know, privacy is important and boundaries are important. But authenticity is also important. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like the cocktail. It's kind of also like if you're married and living with your husband and you don't, you know, you don't necessarily announce, hey, kids, we're going upstairs to have sex. Although there was an article about this, I think it was in The Atlantic recently about like, how do parents get it on? Um, I didn't read it, was, it yet. I should read it. Yeah, it's pretty good. But it was like... Yeah. It was an interesting kind of poll. There were like 20% of parents said that they tell their children that they need time to be intimate or something. But they use kind of like coach, you know, couch it in, I don't know, vague language. Right, um, right. But that's also kind of like, you know, nobody knows kind of how to talk about sex with their kids, period. Or no. even just acknowledging that you have sex with your with your the father of your children, you know what I mean? Let alone having sex Someone with people else. outside of the marriage. Yes. So I think there needs to be more done collectively to normalize this. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like now that my kids are older, I'm glad they know that I'm a sexual person because they have told me about some of the stuff that's going on in their own lives. They don't want to tell me details. I don't right. need them to tell me details, but there have been some things that they've like confronted that um, I'm glad that they feel comfortable talking to both me and to my husband about stuff. And it's not a completely sanitized, pearl clutching household. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. important. So ultimately, I think it's it's good to talk to your kids about what you're doing. It's never easy, no matter if you're in, in a monogamous or a non-monogamous relationship. One thing I did feel though was like, I was glad by the time my son found out, I was in a slightly more stable, balanced place with it where I was able to talk about it, you know, cogently because I've right. been doing enough therapy to understand kind of what this was and what this wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time my youngest felt, found out, way more comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. So that's important. I don't know that I would have told them everything I was, you know, it's it, it wouldn't be appropriate for them to know. No, of course it would. Everything yeah. I was up no. to. No. Um, so what we landed on for both of them is like that I have a right to privacy. Both of them asked me to not tell them when I was going out on a date. Okay. But at this point, my oldest has met my current main partner who I've been dating for over three years. And mm -hmm. I wanted to invite him to my birthday party. My husband was there too. And my son was home. So I was like, are you cool with that? And would you like to meet him? He's like, sure, I'll meet him. And then he introduced me to his girlfriend and I had never met her. So he's kind of, he's a much more like keep it to himself kind of guy, my oldest. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of nice that we were able to do that. And, and we're establishing a more adult relationship now that he's in his early 20s. Yeah, now um, that he's a grown-up, right? He's grown-up, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and if you think about it now, it's like, how often did you think about what your mother was up to when you were like 19, 20, 21? Like, not at all. Never, right? literally so, never. I thought about it more when I was a kid, I think. Yeah, honestly. exactly. Yeah. So like once that kind of anxious phase was over, I think it was a little uncomfortable when they were going through puberty, but it was a little uncomfortable anyway. Yeah, life is uncomfortable. The idea that anyone yeah. has sex ever yeah. is disgusting. Yeah. but I And think also we, awesome. So right. like it's very confusing to them. Right. And we want to model for daughters that it, you can still be a sexual person yes. when you're a mom. We want to model for sons that their mothers are whole people 
and they mm-hmm. are not carbon cutouts there to serve you. Um, so I feel like ultimately I'm very happy with all of the messiness that happened. I don't have regrets about really anything that happened because it's all brought me to this place and I have strong relationships with my kids now and I'm happy about that. Which is great. Which is great. The book takes place over 10 years and as you said, it ends. It's 2018 that it ends, right? Yeah. 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 Where are you, where is your marriage now? How, what, how, how are, how are things? I guess, is that the best question? How are things? Our marriage is the best it's ever been. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, the kids, for some people, I think when the kids leave, the marriage goes through some pressure because maybe there's no triangulation anymore or there's Mm no common focal point. But because we've had our own things going on, the kids leaving has made it like awesome. So we're like really enjoying time together and time apart, which we always have. Um, The sex is better with my husband than it's ever been. Um, you think I, that, did the did the sex get better when you opened up your marriage? Yes, and not for the reason that everybody assumes. I mean, in part, mm-hmm. I think it's because we were exploring with other people and figuring out what we wanted. But also, I write about this in the book. There are some facets of my husband's sexuality that do not match with some facets of my sexuality. Yeah. And until I started seeing other people, I couldn't really put my finger on what that was. But ultimately, he's more dominant than I prefer. I need Mm -hmm. him to tone it down with me. And so I now, though, don't feel like I have to compromise with him. He can take, he he doesn't need that all the time, but Mm -hmm. he can get that elsewhere. So I don't have to change my boundaries for him. And he doesn't have to negate this whole part of his sexuality for me. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really beautiful thing that we're able to give each other. So because of that, there's it's just so much less fraught. We kind mm-hmm. of know the kind of sex we like to have, and it's awesome. And it's not the only kind of sex we like to have. And so we have that other kind with other people. And mm-hmm. so it's just taken all the pressure off of us. Um, in a way that's actually opened us up. We've, we've, we have been a little more experimental with each other because we're like, yeah, maybe we'll try it with the, you know, things that I didn't think I would like with him, but I do like with other people sometimes does happen, stuff like that. So overall, it's just kind of given a freedom to our sex life that, um, that has benefited our relationship as much mm-hmm. as it has our other partnerships. Yeah. I, you know, You're talking about it with regards to sex, but I say all the time, I'm like, your spouse cannot be your everything. They are not going to be your soulmate and your best friend and the person you play tennis with and the mind-blowing sex, right? And so, but there yet another myth that deserves to be busted is that they should satisfy every single need. Absolutely. you're happier when they satisfy the needs that they're good at. Yeah. Like, it was so funny. I got interviewed for the New York Times food section because they were talking about marriage and food. And I hadn't really thought about it so much before, but like, I don't cook or I don't like to cook. My husband doesn't cook. So nobody cooks, right? Yeah. My boyfriend is in hospitality and cooks and used to like, but also would make these like amazing charcuterie plates when we were first dating. And I'm reminding him of that now because anytime you're with someone for a while, you get into a lull, but like he'll cook for me sometimes. And my husband's girlfriend cooks for, for him sometimes. And we both get fed in this way that we weren't previously. And Mm -hmm. we both love getting cooked for, but both of us hate to cook. So it's this way we can just like get something that we don't get from each other that's very lovely. That's very lovely. Exactly. Because not everyone can be all the things. Right. Right. That is all that we have for today. You can find Molly Winter's memoir more wherever you get your books. And I promise, It is a really good read. If you love this show, please leave us a review, send it to a friend. All of the things help. And as always, if you pre-order the book of the summer, The Sicilian Inheritance, you will get a free lifetime subscription to my newsletter, Over the Influence. 
Thank you guys. Have a wonderful day. Go do something nice for yourselves.